Well, good morning, Frontline family. Welcome online with us today. Welcome to church. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know about you, church, but I'm glad this morning. I'm glad that we can be together online. I'm glad that we can gather together to worship our King. I'm glad that we are able to study this beautiful gospel together as we get into the Word. And if you have that same type of joy and feeling of privilege inside of you, would you just shout amen and give the Lord a great shout of praise? Let's just honor Him today, church. Wherever you are, just stop what you're doing. Put your coffee cup down. Jump out of the bed. Jump off your couch and just raise your hands to heaven and praise the name of Jesus. Let's just do that for a few moments. Just shout out His name. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. He is the Almighty. He is beautiful. He is glorious. He is everything that we need. He is the great I am. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the God who is, who was, and who is to come. If you believe that, just shout Amen wherever you are today. And just keep your hands raised as we pray together this morning. So Father, we come to you today and we submit our lives to you in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Father, as we gather together as your church, let your word be established in our hearts and our minds so that we would become people that accurately reflect your glory and advance your kingdom mission in this world. Open up the eyes of our hearts, Lord, and gird up the loins of our minds as we prepare to be transformed by your truth today. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips and the ears of those listening and that Christ-exalting truth would change us from the outside in as you work on the inside to soften our hard hearts. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Church, today we want to wish all our women a very, very special Women's Day. And we want all the women in our church to know that are watching all around the country and all around the world that you are valued and precious to us. And it is our prayer today that our society would recognize and love all women the same way that Jesus loves the church. So we honor and celebrate all the women in our lives today. We love and appreciate you very much. And church, we are excited to announce that we are assisting a women's organization that help and empower women with their children who have been abused. If you would like to partner with us, please check out our Love God, Love People page on Facebook and Instagram. Like and share and let us make a difference together this Women's Month. But church, it's so good to be with you this morning again. I'm privileged to bring you the word today. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been speaking about taking things back. I've been speaking about taking back your mind, which was a two-part message. And Pastor Ronell spoke about taking back your voice. And the reason that we use the phrase take back was simply because, you know, the enemy's strategy is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take everything that God has predestined for us and he wants to take that away from us. He wants to disempower us, right? 
And we have the God-given ability and responsibility to reclaim and take back what is our inheritance as the, the children, the sons and daughters of the Most High God. So we have the right as the children of God to take back what the enemy has stolen and is set out to kill and destroy. And look, church, it's an ongoing process because the enemy never rests. And as I said last week, our natural minds have a mindset that is hostile to God. And so what we're really after, what we are in pursuit of is in the renewing of our minds, right? We're in pursuit of the renewing of our minds. And we need the Holy Spirit to present us with Christ's exalted truth from the outside. And truth embracing humility must rise up on the inside as, as He demolishes our hard hearts. And this process of transformation, church, in this process, our number one goal, the number one goal of Frontline Church is to see Jesus for who He really is. To see the glory of Christ with an unveiled face. And that's what the enemy fears the most. So if you're asking me if what we've been speaking about is really important for our Christian journey, my answer to you is there is nothing more important than for us to pursue with all our strength and with, with all our hearts and with all our minds the glory of God. And what that means for us, church, is we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And so today... I want to spend a bit more time on the emotions. And I'm not just speaking about emotions because it's Women's Day today, right? This is just as important for us men as it is for the women out there. I want to spend a bit more time on our emotions and the importance of our emotions when it comes to the glory of God. You know, as I touched on briefly last week, our soul is made up of three primary parts. The mind, the will, and the emotions. The thought life, which is the mind, the desire, which is the emotion, and the choice, which is the will. And what I really want to show you today, and something which is usually very understated, is the importance of the emotion when it comes to glorifying God. And so to do this today, we're going to look at the book of Psalms to get an idea of how important our emotions are to God and how much we can identify within the Psalms what we experience in our everyday lives. So question, why is the songbook of the Bible punctuated and filled with so many commands addressed to our emotions? Why is it written, O love the Lord, all you, His saints, Psalm 31? Why is it written, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him, Psalm 33. Why is it written, Praise the Lord, all you nations, exalt Him, Psalm 117. Why is it written, Delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37. Rejoice in the Lord, Psalm 97. Be glad in the Lord, Psalm 32. And give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 33. Love, stand in awe, exalt, delight, rejoice, be glad, hope, and give thanks. Those are commands. They're not testimonies, they're not promises, and they're not prayers. 
Yes, there are many testimonies to God's faithfulness in us giving emotion. Such as, I love the Lord, Psalm 116. There is nothing on earth I desire besides you, Psalm 73. How sweet are your words to my taste, Psalm 119. Those are testimonies, right? Not commands. The Psalms are also full of promises. Promises that he will come through with emotion. It says that the Lord satisfies the longing soul, Psalm 107. The humble will be glad, Psalm 69. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance, Psalm 58. Those are promises. They are not commands. The Psalms are also filled with with prayers. Let me hear and be glad. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Psalm 51. O glad in the soul of your servant. Psalm 86. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Psalm 90. So there are many testimonies, prayers, and promises directed to our emotions, but love, stand in awe, exult, delight, rejoice, be glad, hope, and give thanks, those are commands. Those are commands addressed to our emotions and specifically Godward emotions and emotions of delight. Delighting in God and loving God. So in other words, church, we are commanded to feel something toward God. It can't just be intellectual. We have to feel something toward God. Delight yourself in the Lord. Love the Lord. Stand in awe of the Lord. Exalt in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Hope in the Lord and give thanks to the Lord. All unto the Lord. And so why is the songbook of the Bible filled with so many commands addressed to our emotions? Why are we told over and over again to have this type of heart towards God? I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why to answer this question. And the first answer comes from Psalm chapter 1. And Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So church, why should we delight in God? Why should we rejoice in God? Because Psalm chapter 1 says that if we don't, we perish. Right? And God would save us from, from perishing. You see, there are two types of people in Psalm chapter 1. There's the blessed man, and what identifies him is his delight in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night, right? And in all that he does, he prospers. Then there's the second person who does not 
delight in God, does not delight in His Word, and will not stand on the day of judgment, he will perish. And so church, in other words, if we find more delight, more happiness, more joy in other people or other things besides God, we perish. Here's what Paul says about that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. He says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. So God commands us over and over again to delight in Him above all things. Be glad in Him. Be satisfied in Him. Rejoice in Him. Exalt in Him more than anything else in this world and in the universe. And I guess that just extends the question even further, doesn't it? I mean, why should I perish? Why should I perish if my heart finds more pleasure in other things than in God? Why would God threaten such a thing? Well, there's a number of reasons, church. But firstly, because God is absolutely valuable. Because God is absolutely precious. Because God is absolutely desirable. God is absolutely satisfying. Just like His Word says in Psalm chapter 19, verse 10, He is more to be desired than gold. Yes, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. He is that whether anybody on this earth feels that or not. Let God be true, though every man a liar. He is infinitely precious. That's the first thing. And secondly, church, when we actually start to taste God as precious absolutely valuable, beautiful, and, and all sufficient. His eternal value and His eternal preciousness becomes an experience value and preciousness. We start to experience that in our life. And church, the reason God created the universe and the reason He sent His Son Jesus to redeem a people for Himself in worship forever was to take His eternal worth, right, his eternal value and his infinitely satisfying nature and go public with it. Echoing that eternal value through the experience of his people as they delight in him. Come on. That's why he made the world. This is central to everything. This is the core of everything. He made the world to go public with his value, his beauty, his majesty and his glory. And listen to this, it finds an echo or a reflection in the experience of delighting in Him more than anything else. And denying that truth means that you deny God's reason for creating everything. And so that's why you would perish, because the reasons are of eternal value. And God would save us from perishing. God actually wants us to prosper in all things. When the psalmist Asaph cries out in Psalm 73, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Church, there are no words that glorify God more than that. 
experiencing God as your desired portion so highly, so intensely, so deeply and completely that all the other possessions are in this world are as nothing glorifies God more than any other emotion or state of your heart. Jesus told the parable in, in Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 and he said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field and church the implication of this parable is profound because people sell things people do all sorts of sacrificial things in their lives with all kinds of of ulterior motives with no delight in the treasure with no sense of satisfaction and joy in Jesus and Jesus shuts the door on that in this parable when he says in his joy he sells everything right you see there are many Christians that that don't think like that for some Christians Christianity is just a decision they make it's a commitment they have it's a duty that they do but God commands the affections of our hearts to achieve so much more than just that you know the early Christians magnified God by delighting in God more than everything just listen to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34 and just picture yourself in this situation your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are in prison and you know that if you go and visit them and take them food, they might identify you with them and you get in trouble as well. So you're putting your life on the line here. And this is what it says in verse 34. It says, For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So I want you to get the implication of this. It says that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. So when they headed for the prison and they, they looked over their shoulders, right? And they saw their houses being ransacked and, and burned down. And everyone is screaming, get away from here, Christians. We, we hate you, Christians. Yes, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the early Christians endured that and much worse. But it says that they rejoiced. And you may ask yourself, in comparison to this, where is Christianity today? Because a lot of Christians just complain, complain, complain. So what do you think that they said when they were on their way to, to the prison? When they were looking over their shoulders and seeing everything being plundered? What do you think they said? What do you think they're saying? Do you think they sang a hymn perhaps? I don't know what they said. I don't know what they sang, but I'm sure they were singing this. I'm sure they were singing, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart, my possessions, my everything may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I'm going to the prison crazy right 
And I pray that we would become Christians that would live with that type of joy despite what's going on around us. And you see, church, and this is very important, what is at stake in human emotion is the glory of God. It's the glory of God. This is so important. If you don't delight in God, you dishonor God. But the more you're satisfied in Him, the more He is glorified in you. You see, it is no more optional for us to pursue joy in God than it is for God to pursue glory in us. They are both absolutely necessary and both absolutely essential. And in the redeemed, they they happen together. God pursues the magnifying of His beauty in the satisfying of your soul in that beauty. That's why He made the world. It's got to happen or you perish. Right? You must be born again. No person can do this on their own. It can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Psalms clarify for us how essential the spiritual emotions are for authentic, God-glorifying worship and living. And you know, our emotions are not optional here. It's not something that you just discard as unimportant as you try and, and worship God in the different areas of your life. It is central to everything, right? You die without it. It is central. Now, the Psalms do something else for us that I want to show you. And it's very crucial. And I don't think it's in the middle of the Bible for nothing. And what they do is they keep us from having a naive optimism about the emotional possibilities of fallen people. And they help us navigate the seas of our tormented emotions. You know, this, this roller coaster of emotions that we experience in our lives. Church, just to take a step back a bit, when we're born again, the Spirit of God opens up the eyes of our hearts to start seeing God, to start seeing Christ, seeing His beauty, seeing His glory in the cross, in the gospel, as more valuable and more precious and more satisfying than anything. And as I said last week, we need the Holy Spirit to do a double work in our lives so that we can fix our gaze on Jesus with an unveiled face. But I guess it would be somewhat naive to think that our gaze on the glory of Christ will remain completely clear to the end of our days. And that the responsiveness of our heart to that sight of glory remains so intense until we see Jesus. I mean, let's get real, right? We have an enemy. And his number one goal is to cloud that vision of God and to distort the affections of our heart. And to deny that would make us, well, utterly hypocritical because we all experience this. And the Psalms, more than any other book in the Bible, illustrate that sobering fact. If you're living on planet Earth, listen to this, you're going to experience the same type of emotions that that the psalmist did. You see, the psalmist's vision of God is often obscured. The psalmist's joy in God is often conflicted and embattled, showing raw, natural, human emotion. I mean, for example, it says, I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. 
Psalm 38. I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Psalm 25. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities have gone over my head. They are like a heavy burden, too heavy for me. Psalm 38. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Psalm 42. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. Psalm 6. Doesn't that sound like life? You see, the Psalms are us. Pain, loneliness, affection, affliction, trouble, guilt, burdens, health, issues, cast down, nights flooded with tears. And church, this is not a message about us living in defeat as Christians. This is a message about coming to the reality that we will face those type of emotions in life. But despite that fact, we have to fight for joy. We have to fight for joy. You know, the Apostle Paul, I absolutely love the Apostle Paul. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart unceasing anguish in the heart of the man who said rejoice how often always right i mean go figure you see this is the miracle of the christian life unceasing anguish i'm being persecuted my my comrades are perishing and what should i say rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice it's a miracle and this type of life is possible if you have the Holy Spirit. It's not easy. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be the type of people, as in 2 Corinthians 6, that say, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing everything it's the miracle of the christian life and everything from the day that you're born again until the day that you meet jesus wants to destroy that miracle so we have to fight for joy because our reward in heaven, church, is going to be much greater than anything we experience on this earth. We have to fight for joy. Romans chapter 8 verses 22 to 23 says, For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He promised us. 
We will fight for joy until the day we die. We will sail through the waves of every imaginable discouragement. But we must fight for joy. And church, life is a battle against delighting in anything more than we delight in God. That's the battle. And the Psalms show us over and over again that life is not smooth sailing. It's not always smooth sailing. But rather they show us how they navigated through it. What they did when they were experiencing these emotions. They show us how they looked to the Lord. Psalm 34. How they remembered His wondrous works. Psalm 105. How they meditated in the watches of the night. Psalm 63. How they confessed their sins and received forgiveness. Psalm 130. How they gathered in worship with the great congregation. Psalm 42. I can't wait to gather together with you and worship our God. How they cried to the Lord in every form of prayer, Psalm 51. And how they waited on the Lord and hoped in Him, Psalm 130 and 39. Church, to be bought by the blood of Jesus and to be born again by the Spirit of God means that you have beheld and embraced Jesus as your all-satisfying treasure. That's what it means to be saved, right? You have seen Him as supremely precious and you have embraced Him as your supreme, all-satisfying treasure and the rest of your life is a battle against everything that the enemy throws against you, right? From the television, from advertising, everything at your job, everything in your family, every thought that comes your way that wants to destroy that miracle, that wants to kill it and make other things seem more desirable, more precious and more valuable than he is. And that's why we have to fight for joy. So church, we fight until we can say, and then we fight until we can say it again. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So church, as I said earlier, this is not a message about us living in defeat as Christians. This is a message about coming to the reality that we will face these types of emotions in life. But despite that truth, we choose joy. We fight for joy. You know, King David, who wrote most of the Psalms, experienced unimaginable pain and suffering in his life. Death threats and all these types of things. And he cried out on many occasions to the Lord how downcast he was of impending death and destruction. Right? But he found joy in the Lord. He found joy in his eternal treasure. And even though he faced the possibility of dying and losing everything on many occasions, he wrote songs to the Lord, right? He wrote and he sang songs to the Lord and he, he danced before the Lord. He even danced naked. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go out into the streets today and dance naked. But what I want to suggest to all of us is that we glorify God by looking past the veil 
of this life's issues and problems and pain and hold on to the everlasting joy that is found in Him and only Him. And just like King David, we have the Spirit of God within us. And despite the circumstances and pain around us and all the threats of destruction, we have the authority to take control of our emotions, right? And reign as kings on this earth as we have a heart that glorifies God. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to thank you for your word today. We want to thank you, Lord, that you care about our emotions and address that very specifically in your word. Lord, we ask today that you would develop in us hearts that glorify you in everything that we do. Despite our emotions, despite all the pain, despite all the pressures of life, we pray that you would give us the strength to fight for joy in all things, Lord where we would come to the place in our lives where we can truly say, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. We want to glorify you with our thoughts. We want to glorify you with our words, our emotions, and our actions, Lord. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin that work in us even right now. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Amen Church, thank you so much for joining us again this morning. We look forward to connecting again with you soon. Have a, a blessed Sunday further. We love you. We miss you. Bless you all.